Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا رب العالمين أما بعد. So if you recall and if you were able to join us last week, we spoke about the the soul and how in the past the soul was seen as something that possessed the faculty of the intellect, of of, of understanding, of reasoning, and how later on, you know, philosophers and uh, empiricists really, they separated uh, the concept of intellectualizing from the soul. And so then the faculty that intellectualized in the human became the mind. This concept called the mind. It never existed classically uh, amongst philosophers or amongst Muslim theologians. There was no concept of mind. Uh, They acknowledged obviously the brain, um, but the ruh was not the brain, and thinking was not restricted or solely in the brain. Maybe you know, as many neuroscientists might think today. So we talked a little bit about you know some of the challenges that arise when you pin all cognition and uh, understanding thinking um, when you pin it solely in the brain or this concept of the mind. Because then trying to explain what the mind is becomes a challenge. So in the book that we've been covering, inshallah, uh, with the heart in mind, there's a little section that he devotes um, that I think you know serves as a good foundation for a conversation that we can have. So he cites a study wherein there was a comparison made between or at least a study of the relationship between people of high IQ and religiosity levels among them. And so what the study concluded was that the higher the IQ of people, the less religious they tended to be. So there was a negative relationship, an inverse relationship between the two variables. And They tried to provide some explanations for why they think that that's the case. But one of the things he notes in the book is that if you were to ask someone who's the most intelligent person today or ever, usually religious figures don't come to mind. We think about Nobel Prize winners. We think about scientists. We think about people who contributed in some great way to the formation of the modern world as we know it. He says, and he quotes uh, the work of the great Qadi Iyad. I'm not sure why it's, uh, there's this little weird echo. Um, he quotes the great Qadi Iyad as, sta- as stating that, that's worse that way, as stating that the most intelligent human being that ever existed was the Prophet Now when you read that statement, you might just think it's dogmatic. Oh, these are Muslims, of course they're going to make this claim that their prophet is the most intelligent. But like, 
You know, I actually had one person once tell me this. And it goes to show how colonized our minds can be and how much of an inferiority complex we can have. He said to me, he said, if the Prophet ﷺ was so great, why did he have all of these scientific breakthroughs that we have today? And I looked at him, I said, really? Is that like an honest question you're asking me? Like you place so much value in these scientific breakthroughs. I said, he brought you something far greater that none of these scientists can offer you. He explained the purpose of your life and how you attain salvation. He explained to you how to live as a good, not just Muslim, how to live as a good human being. He explained that to you. And I said, but you really wanted to tell you about gravity? Was, it, was that what you wanted him to bring to you? Like, but he was so enamored by all of this, you know, the scientific endeavors that, we, that we're aware of, that he was questioning how the Prophet ﷺ was such a great figure when he hadn't been given all of that. And it goes to show like what we actually value. So um, this is better now, right? Finally? Okay. Um, so the discussion that he has in his book with the heart and mind, it's really this discussion about if you are more reasonable, if you're more intellectual, you have a higher IQ, that should lead you away from religion. That's not what he's explaining. He's exploring this notion that some people would have. But like if the more academic you are, the more intellectual you are, the less religious you would be. And you might have actually heard this from some in your community. When I say your community, I mean maybe the cultural community that you come from. Where they have this notion that if you go to university or if you become really academic, it can actually take you away from Islam. Or you'll, you'll start to lend, like, like lean towards atheism or something like that. Or um, You won't be a strong believer anymore because you'll start questioning everything about the religion. Anyone ever heard that notion, like kind of mentioned? So like, don't get too smart, because then you're going to go away from Islam. And, and he notes how this is such a fascinating idea that we have. It's almost like we feel, right, when other people say it, people who are, example, non-religious, when they say this, hey, I'm enlightened. So I'm not, I don't believe in all the superstitious religious belief stuff, right? When they say it, I, can, I mean, I can see where they're coming from, like why they would say that. It makes sense to me why they would say that, right? Because they're not religious to begin with. But when a religious person who's Muslim says that and says, yeah, don't become too rational and critical thinking. You know, don't become too much of a critical thinker. It'll take you away from Islam. I kind of go, hold up. So what is Islam to you? Is it something irrational? Is it something that's not really rigorously thought about by scholars, like what do you understand the religion to be? Is it just something that you do because everyone else has been doing it? It's, it's what you inherited from your parents? Is that all it is to you? It would seem though that, that that's the case. So this is, a, this is an important thing to explore. And I think maybe some of us, maybe not all of us, but some of us, we might not be aware of the rigorous intellectual history that our religion has. Do you guys get where I'm coming from? Like, 
Like, sometimes we think that, you know, let me take a critical thinking class in university. And like, that'll help me become a critical thinker. Muslim scholars from early on had developed methodologies to think critically. And I don't say that to just like live in the past in some nostalgic way. That their understandings, their theories continue to inform us today. And, and, and we could talk a lot about that, but what I want to explore today is this idea that if you become more intellectual and you start to reason more, will that take you away from religion? Will that lead you to the conclusion that revelation is unnecessary? Like, I don't need revelation anymore. That if I just think about it and we just kind of do some, we do experiments and we uh, philosophize, we'll be able to figure out everything that religion tried to offer us. What do you all think about that? Let me hear from you guys. The scientific project today. Why can that, can that, you know, in a, in a sense, uh, uproot religious belief and kind of replace it? Yeah. I think, uh, I think the foundations of such sciences can cause issues, especially if someone is not grounded in Islam itself, because they will absorb those, assumptions, those basic assumptions and then start to believe in scientism, for example. And that might be the danger. But no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's a point related to what I mentioned earlier, definitely. Um, you know, like some parents, when I mentioned earlier how they get all worried about people getting too academic or really studying too much or you know, doing their master's and PhD and they're like, oh no, it's going to take you away from Islam. You're not going to be so religious anymore. Many a times when you ask them why they think that's the case, they'll cite some example in the community. Oh, so-and-so's daughter, so-and-so's son, right? They'll just pull out this random individual and be like, yeah, look at that person. And... What Hussein is mentioning is absolutely true. Is that if we uncritically study all of these subjects, it's very easy for a person to develop a certain worldview that does not align with Islam. It's very easy. And you might say, well, okay, then who's right? If, if the worldview I learned in university is not correct, as if Muslims claim it's not correct, well, why not? What better alternative do they have to offer? And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. But that point he's making is valid. Is that if you uncritically just swallow everything that's taught to you in first year in, in your subjects, and you never think critically about them, you will develop a certain way of, of thinking about the world that will form your worldview. And then, if there's an in incompatibility with Islam, and you don't know how to resolve that, then it is very easy for a person to start kind of questioning and doubting their religion. And, uh, yeah, that can happen. Okay. But yeah, so, is it possible that we just do enough experiments to figure out what it means to be a good person? Then you don't need religion to tell you how to be a good person. Just do experiments, like, you know, and you should be good. No? What do y'all think? The idea is, Allah revealed a purpose to us of why we're here. He revealed to us teachings of how to live. Okay? But if I use my reason, can I just kind of end up not needing revelation? That reason is enough to take me through life? What do y'all think? And some would argue, if I use my reason, I actually can end up making 
or, or reaching far better conclusions than what religion has to offer me. Because in their minds, religious is this very primitive, it's a very primitive, it's a very unsophisticated institution. You know what I mean? It's simple. You just say, La ilaha illallah. These people, they just go, they pray because it makes them feel better. And they can talk to this being that they think has control. So when they feel like life is out of control, you know, we can just turn to this God and He'll help us. And, you know, it just makes you psychologically feel better. That's all it is. You know, it's just like a way to soothe yourself. But if you start pressing intellectually why someone should be Muslim, they don't have a reason. They can't prove it to you why they should be Muslim. When you ask them, does God exist? Like, how are they going to prove it to you? Because they'll say, well, you can't see God. Right, so you can't do an experiment to verify or reject the hypothesis that God is true. So then, this is all just superstition, guys. I am, I am Shaitan's lawyer right now, guys. So tell me, what do you say to Shaitan's lawyer? Yes? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's because we probably lost contact with the essence of religion. So all the teachings and all, I'm sure there are methods, you know, um, to, in theological methods and otherwise to prove the existence of God, but we're just probably not well versed enough in those. And so we assume it's not a part of religion. Definitely. Absolutely. Everything you said, mashallah. So yeah, there those who don't want to like, take that root of, of reasoning in religion, yeah, they, they fear that, you know, revelation will end up contradicting. Alright, that's one. Um, but that often is rooted in, in a lack of awareness of how Muslims went about establishing proof for their beliefs. Right, absolutely. So, one of the interesting things is, in the Qur'an, what does Allah tell you to do? Does Allah tell you to blindly follow? Or does He, does he tell you to think? What do y'all think? What, what, do y'all, what do y'all know about the Qur'an in terms of its approach? Yeah. Uh, he tells us to look around and reason with everything. Right. Right. So this, this is interesting. He tells us two things. You mentioned one, absolutely. You mentioned both, actually. First, you'll see very commonly, probably more commonly, Allah will tell us to look around. You read those verses? Look at trees, look at the sky, look at, look at nature around you, right? Use your senses to look at the universe. Okay, but that's not enough. Because your senses do not reason. They merely gather info. You understand? They process sensory uh, data. Then it's sent for processing to the brain. Do you understand? That's where the intellectualizing will take place. Connected to the soul. Okay, let's talk a little bit about... But the point, the question, and you answered at the end when you said, but he wants us to reason. Anyone know the verses? Maybe you've heard people quote these verses. What are the verses in the Quran where Allah uses... He uses the, the root letters, Ayn, Qaf, Lam, Aql. Anyone know the verses? Just even the, the, the few words. Yes, afala ta'qilun, right? Um, afala ya'qilun. Um, when it comes to the Quran, Allah says, reflect on it. 
Do they not reflect and think about what the Qur'an is saying? Right? Because if it's just a matter of read the Qur'an, close your eyes and say, okay, it's true, it doesn't make any sense to me, but it's true, I'm just going to do it. That's not what the Qur'an says. And this is so interesting because it, it flies totally in the face of what these people are saying. That don't, be, don't reason too much, don't think too much. It'll take you away from religion. Meanwhile, the religion itself is saying, think. Don't blindly follow. Don't blindly follow. Now, there's an issue here that I want to point out. Some people, I've had people tell me this. They say, I don't want to think too critically and philosophically about my religion. I, just, I don't have any doubts. So I just want to pray, be a good person, worship Allah, follow the Prophet wasallam. And just, just do some good stuff. You know, like just, just, I don't have any question about my religion being true or false. To me, it's all true. Let me just do my thing. And then you say, like, all this intellectual stuff, it's too much, man. You guys sit there, you start talking about the argument from contingency and the cosmological arguments. Like, oh man, I can't handle all that stuff. My brain starts hurting. So just, I just want to do, like, I just want to be a good person, you know? Be kind, be gentle, be generous. That's all I want to do. But you know what's interesting? When such people go through difficulties, you can find them questioning Allah. Because the reason why they think they don't need to like study the religion intellectually at all is they think I'm never gonna like I'm never gonna listen to an atheist. I'm never I'm never gonna listen to some Christian pastor trying to preach to me. So I don't really care what they say. They're not gonna convert me. So if they're not gonna convert me, I'm not really bothered, and I don't have to worry about ever losing my faith. But the idea is that it's only other religions and preachers of other ways of thinking that can change and cause you to lose your faith. Another major cause of losing faith that nobody is exempt from is tragedies in life and difficulties in life. And I've seen this happen. I've seen people, mashallah, amazing believers, mashallah, masjid, praying, spirituality, allergic to all that intellectual stuff. Right? They don't want to do that stuff. And then there's heartbreak. There's grief. There's a loss of somebody. And then they come to me and say, Shaykh, why would Allah do that? Oh, now you're becoming theological. Oh, now you're becoming intellectual. What happened before? And so, you know, Niccolo Machiavelli in The Prince, in his, uh, it's a very interesting book on supposedly morality. There's like no morality in there. But, he has, a, he has a saying in there. He says, prepare for war during peace. And the idea is, if it's, if it's peaceful times, don't assume that it will always remain peaceful. Because right around the corner might be a war. And you need to be ready for it. The idea is, the, the connection between what I'm, that quote and what I'm trying to say is, be prepared for when something tests your faith. Maybe that's why you need to study your religion from an intellectual perspective. Do you get it? Because today you might not have any doubts. And tomorrow, you know, may Allah protect you. Tomorrow something may happen to you in your life, God forbid, that would shake your iman. And then you start having all these questions and you don't have the answers because you never studied the answers. You never felt the need to study the answers. And you know what's crazy? Maybe you even have a fear that Islam doesn't have the answers. And then that would mean that the 20-something years you devoted to following this religion of coming for Jumu'ah and staying away from Big Macs and wearing hijab, 
all of that was pointless. And so maybe you're scared of, I don't want to have to find out that all that I've been living is a lie. And I'm not going to ask you if you've ever had that thought, right? Because maybe you don't want to admit that. But sometimes people have that thought. Look, it's the best I got right now. I'm socially acceptable. I'm part of a community. My family's happy with me. I'll probably be able to get married to somebody who will accept me as I am because I still am acting like a Muslim. But deep down, are you truly, do you truly believe in Allah? Are you, tr are, you, are you truly satisfied and convinced that the religion is the most moral and ethical way of living? And sometimes the answer is no. But we just don't want to face that. And one of the things I say, and I said this to myself, when I was studying, and, 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 and that was a time where I had a lot of questions. One of the things that kept me going was, listen, I have one life to live. I have one life to live. If I'm going to live this one life, it better be by the truth. It better be. He's got one chance, man. One chance to live. Live it by the truth. And so let me test this religion. Let me ask the questions that I have in the back of my head. Let me think about them. Let me reason about them. And when I do that, if, I, if it turns out to be false, well then, at least I'm not living my life as a false, like a, like a falsehood. And if I'm really convinced that it's the truth, oh, the truth will manifest itself. Do you understand? And sometimes it takes time. I had a question. It took me two years to find the answer. Well, not two years to find the answer. Two years to understand the answer. Because I got the answer early on. I never understood it. Like my teachers would say it to me and I'd kind of shake my head and go, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. You know, like just to be respectful. And I'd be like, yes, gee, you know. And I didn't understand what they were saying. Like I didn't get the concepts. Right? But two years later, you know, something clicked finally and I understood what they're talking about. I was like, oh, that's what they're saying. And then when it clicks, subhanAllah, the peace that it brings in your heart, Subhanallah. It's worth it. It's worth it. You know, one of the things that is attributed to Imam al-Ghazali is he said, the first, the first stage of conviction is doubt. What? The first stage in your journey to conviction is doubt. And it's actually an interesting thing that I'm just going to go off on a brief tangent and come back to this. In the book, Mikhail Smith, Sheikh Mikhail, he talks about how one of the signs of intellectualism in, in example in Western academia is that you're a person of doubt. Certainty is frowned upon. You know, I've literally, I literally had a classmate. This was very interesting. It was, it was like a liberal arts class at St. Jerome's. And uh, it was a seminar. So there's like six of us and a teacher. And this dude was incredible. This guy memorized Shakespeare. So like he would just quote, you know like people quote Quran ayat, mashallah, the dude would quote Shakespeare on the spot. But he would drink heavy alcohol on the weekends, he would tell us about it, you know, like... Because for him, like the realities of life were very painful. He's a very honest person. Anyways, may Allah guide him. He's a really nice guy, really nice guy. And by the way, he had read like, I would say the vast majority, at least of the major books in the Western canon. Like from early on... And he, he didn't just read them, he taught them. Like, so he knew them very well. He was obsessed with them. What was very interesting was he slightly turned towards religion later on in his life. But what was really interesting is he never heard of Imam al-Ghazali. Ever. 
A man who was so well read in the Western canon had never heard of Imam al-Ghazali. <clears throat> and when I brought it to his attention, he was like blown away. I was like, you guys are like so Eurocentric in your thinking. It's very sad. Like, we, need to, we really need to revise the curriculums in some of, these, uh, uh, some of these philosophy departments and stuff. Anyways, so I remember in, in, in our class, it was very interesting. There's me, who is this right here, right? Thobe, beard, all that, sitting in the class. What religion do you think I am? Guess, right? And then the person beside me, she is a strong Protestant. And she's like a preacher. And she's like a leader in her church. So me and her actually would actually unite on a lot of things. Because when we would read something that would be super skeptical or just pure empirical, you know, empiricist philosophers and stuff, we, me and her would kind of like team up and like criticize it. And then we would state what we believe. And that was the beauty of that class was you were actually very encouraged to express your religious belief. One of the few classes to do that. Anyways, there was a sister. I call her sister, but like in humanity. But there was a, there was a girl in our class. And she would be sitting there. And I remember one time we like expressed how we believe this is what it is. And that's what it's not. And this guy's wrong. This philosopher. We did our whole thing. And I remember someone like the, the teacher looked at her and she looked, you know, you're sulking. She's like sulking. And I remember the teacher looked at her and said like, hey, uh, what do you think? She's like, I don't know how people can be so arrogant and act like they're all, con you know, they have conviction and, and they have beliefs, you know, nowadays. And I'm like, what? So it, it's seen as an intellectual flaw to possess conviction. It's almost like, and he points this out, it's almost like the goal is to be skeptical and to doubt things. And then we wonder why I can't find peace in my life. Because you're not convinced of anything. And then you're worried, you're, you're confused about why you wouldn't find peace. You understand? The goal is to doubt everything. You had like radical uh, skepticists. Descartes is a classic example of this. His philosophy. And it's one of the first things you read. If you take any 100 level philosophy course, they will make you read Descartes' first meditations. And, that's a, and you read through it, and it's a classic example of just pure skepticism. And the conclusion Descartes reaches is what? Is that the proof of my existence is my thoughts. Right? Imam al-Ghazali actually followed a very similar line of thinking. That's why there's some, you know, mashallah, philosophers, in the, I think, in the Arab world, who have made this claim that Descartes took from Imam al-Ghazali. That, maybe, that perhaps some manuscripts of Ghazali were found in the rooms um, and libraries of Descartes. Because it's really eerie to see the consistency between the two and how they go about reasoning from a skeptical pr perspective. Imam al-Ghazali in his deliverance from error, Al-Munqidh min al-Dalal, he starts with radical skepticism. He questions his axioms, the like, foundational beliefs. And then he starts reasoning through them. And he realizes reason is not enough. I need more to give me this conviction deep in my heart, deep in my soul. And he ultimately, you know, and, and he goes through it, but he doesn't end up at this thought. That thought is what's going to liberate me from my skepticism. He realizes that thought can always play games on you. So you need a certain level of, of spirituality, spiritual light. Right? He, he moves on and if you read it, it's a very fascinating book. And the reason why it's so fascinating 
And this is why you hear, you know, Shaykh Hamza Yusuf really push for Muslims to read Imam al-Ghazali in our times. Because despite the fact that he lived over, you could say, or you know, around maybe just less than a thousand years ago, much of what he talks about is strangely relevant today. And the example that he leaves us is of a person who said, I want the truth. And I'm willing to question and reason and think. And to do that is not against my religion. It's encouraged by my religion. Do you understand where I'm coming from? The important thing here that I want to mention is we also need to have multiple ways of thinking. Right? So the idea that reason should lead you to revelation, that's what Muslims believe. It is not that reason stands in, in, in contradiction to revelation. No. You do not believe and accept revelation for some irrational reason. reason. No, absolutely not. That's what theology is all about. How many of you have heard of theology? Heard of it? Some of you have taken a course in it. Sheikh Ahmad is currently teaching a course. Those of you who want to take that course and learn about what I'm talking about today can take his course. It's offered online. I think we've done three weeks now, right? So three weeks are done. We still have nine weeks left. Recordings are available for those who want to, who want to take that course. This, this, my speech was not a long ad for that. I just shamelessly plugged that in there. No, because some of you might be like, okay, this is very interesting. I, I am curious to know how you're going to intellectually argue and prove that it's totally in line with reason to believe in God. It's totally in line with reason to, um, to accept revelation. This is an important thing to, to, to really study as Muslims for us. Because we live in a world where we're told revelation is just superstitious beliefs. It's just stuff you accept. We've kind of moved on from that. You ever thought about the term enlightenment? The enlightenment, you ever thought about that term? That term is not a neutral term. It's very purposefully chosen to illustrate what? Because if you become enlightened, what, what, what were you before? You were in the dark. And so the Muslims, the classical Muslim scholars, early, on, early scholars, were, they lived before the enlightenment. So when you say that the enlightenment takes place in the 16th or 17th century, what are you saying about everybody before them? They weren't enlightened. They were not enlightened. That's what they say. As Muslims, really, we need to reclaim our intellectual tradition. We really do. We need to realize that we were the preservers of Aristotle's philosophy. Yeah. If you take a lot of courses, where do they start? When they start to explain the foundations of that subject. They go back to Greek philosophers. Have you noticed that? How many of you had a course where it wasn't a philosophy, but they start with the early Greek, Greek philosophers. Aristotle believed this, Socrates believed this, Plato thought this. And they go back. They see themselves here in the West, in the Western Academy, they see themselves as the inheritors of that tradition that stems from the Greeks. Which is why they kind of teach it everywhere. It's crazy because it was the Muslims who inherited it, not them. They did not have it until the Muslims shared it. And this is not me. Please, don't be like, oh, this is the shaykh. You know, they, they, they have all these conspiracy theories where they think the Muslims are supremacists and stuff. No! This is not recorded by a Muslim. Uh, Muslims recorded, of course. We have works, obviously, to show that the Muslims inherited this tradition. 
And you might say, like, are you taking pride over that? Like, who cares? If you believe they were all, you know, pagans and, 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 and polytheists, why are you taking pride over it? I'm taking pride in the sense that Muslims were not shy to engage with other cultures. We're not shy to engage with other intellectual traditions because they believed that their tradition was intellectually rigorous and could stand up to the scrutiny. And so you find Imam al-Ghazali absolutely bringing on board Aristotle's ethics, Nicomachean ethics. But then when it comes to the theory of the soul, he does not take Aristotle, he takes Plato. That's not blindly following philosophers. That's critically thinking carefully about what aligns with our revelation that could add and supplement our understanding of revelation. And it's not because it goes against revelation, but it's very much in line with revelation. Our revelation encourages, uh, encourages us to think and to reason. Because the goal of all of that is not doubt, it's to reach conviction. And when you have conviction, you can obey. Many of us wonder why we don't feel strong in our, our belief. Well, because we've never dug deep. We've never dug deep to even figure out why you should believe. Do you get where I'm coming from? And it may be fear. It may be like, I don't want to dig deep lest I, I get lost. It's, I don't want to say this in the sense... That, so let's go back to Imam al-Ghazali when he said what? That the first stage in reaching conviction is doubt. Why? Any ideas why that would be the case? Because that just seems to be the total opposite. Yeah. Is it because you're asking questions and then you're ready to receive? Yes. Because if someone's not doubting, what are they doing? Yeah, sorry. Accepting. Accepting. And likely accepting blindly. Just passively, like whatever you say. And you just kind of take it on. I mean, that's what kids do, right? Kids don't question much. They might question a little bit here and there, but not much. And they kind of passively accept it all. And so they think they're good believers. Until what? Until someone comes and questions them on it. And that's, that's, that's classically what I get. I get people who come, Shaykh, uh, uh, someone sent me this article. I don't know what to say to it. Yeah, because you never studied it. You're just reacting to what everyone's around you saying. Maybe you should take out some time. Have you ever thought about that? We study like, Subjects pertaining to the natural world around us and the technological world for like 16 years And we barely study Islam for like a year even If you add up all the Sunday classes over like how many years it might get to a year lucky maybe And then we wonder why like, I don't know my iman's not that strong. Yeah, hmm. I wonder yeah like and so a lot but 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 when people ask those questions I actually get very happy why because finally, what are they doing? They're asking questions. They're finally becoming talib. They're now seeking the truth. Before they thought they had the truth. But they were deluded. Because they had no reason to believe that other than, this is what everyone taught me and I'm never going to ask a question. And finally someone came forward and, and challenged them. And then they were like, oh, I don't know what to say. And it's jarring. I've seen, I've seen some people, they're not so concerned that they don't know the answer. They're concerned that they thought that they were ready to take on anybody, and then they, they weren't. And they were like, Shaykh, like, it makes sense. Right? Like, some people go onto university campuses, and they ask, like, atheists about what they believe, and then they make some crazy statements. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? 
So we get jarring responses and we're like, we're like, I don't even know what to say. I'm not even sure what to say. And that, that's what shocks them is like, so I thought I was a good Muslim. I, am I not a good Muslim anymore? Like, what am I? And sometimes people say like, oh man, see, you shouldn't have watched that video. Right? You shouldn't have read that article. It's like we try to keep people sheltered. Maybe kids, yeah. But as people get older, you don't shelter them. You try to help them through the storm. Because they come out stronger. When you start with doubt, if you end up with doubt about something, it's not a sign that you're a bad Muslim. It's actually the beginning of a journey towards conviction. That's what Muslims believe. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to recognize that, that reason does not contradict revelation. If we follow reason without following our desires, inshallah, it will lead to the belief in revelation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to understand that. Amin ya rabbal alameen wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala sayyidina Muhammad wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. ولكل وجهة هو موليها فاستبقوا الخيرات أينما تكونوا يأتي بكم الله جميعا إن الله على كل شيء قدير